0: Welcome to Streamed and Screened, a podcast distributed by Lee Enterprises about the new movies and TV shows that are just over the horizon that are worth your time. The show is hosted by Bruce Miller, an entertainment reporter who has been in the business for many a year, many a year. Uh, He's now the editor of the Sioux City Journal. Hello, Bruce. It is many a year since I've last said I'm here. (laughs) Uh, We've also got Jared McNett, a reporter for the Sioux City Journal. Hello, Jared.
1: Every single uh, week, every single day uh, that I wake up, I also have to deal with the unbearable weight of massive talent. It's it's too much some days, but I try to soldier on. Like Atlas, you shoulder it, you put it on your back. Yes. Heave it. Some
2: days he does crappy things, like some of those lesser films of Nicolas Cage, and some days he does some of the greater things, like some of the greater films of Nicolas Cage.
0: It's true. And I am Chris Lay. I am the podcast operations manager for Lee, and I am based out of Madison, Wisconsin. And uh, no massive talent, just a appropriate amount of talent, I think, is the yeah, proportional amount of talent. The minimal. Yeah. You know, it's, it's average. So this week, we have a fantastic treat for everybody with our interview. Bruce got to talk to the director of The Northman, Robert Eggers. We will have that at the very end. We'll also talk about that uh, shortly. And we will also be talking about the Nicolas Cage movie, which Jared has already mentioned. We've got a handful of interesting shows coming out that we're going to throw out there. But first, just to book into the whole episode, Bruce, tell us about The Northman. I think I mentioned this,
2: that I was not interested at all. In seeing the Northman. I mean, come on, really, do I need to see more people swing on some kind of a a sword or an axe or whatever? I don't know that I need that in my life. And I I kept thinking about, you know, the 300, I really kind of liked 300 because of its technical things. And that's kind of that same Spartans prepare to die. And it's that same kind of quality that you get with this. But That's what's cool about having somebody like Robert Eggers, who you wouldn't expect to do something like this. He's more of a smaller film guy. And notice how all of his films start with the word the. I find that just kind of interesting. But with this, he just decided to take a risk. And it is amazing. It moves like a house on fire. And I have not seen Alexander Skarsgård in this kind of a role where he kind of seems a little patrician in a lot of things that he does, but here he's kind of down and dirty and you think, uh-oh, he's gonna do something that you don't expect. The film is two hours and I think 20 minutes long. It doesn't seem that long. And this is something from me who can't stand. I am the Pete Davidson of our bunch who wants a 90 minute or less film, but it didn't seem that long. It, didn't, it seemed like something that I would really enjoy. And because it twists and turns so much, there's something more there that you don't really catch. I mean, there's a little bit of the witch world that he parlayed in his first film, The Witch. There's, And he uses the same cinematographer for this. So this, the cinematographer gives you a different kind of a look. And he said a lot of times they just did it on the fly. And you can see that. You can see where, you know, crawling up these mountains and trying to get these vast vistas. But... I want you to pay attention to Clay's bang. He plays the uncle. He's a Danish actor. I thought he was incredible. This is a guy that I wish I knew more about and I wish I had seen more of his films because he is a real good kind of um, foil for Alexander Skarsgård. And when they, they square off, he plays his uncle. And this is not a spoiler alert, but the uncle kills the dad right away. It's right there in the trailer. Yeah, yeah. it's right away. This kid says, I am going to avenge my father's death. And then you see over the course of years, how he does it. You know, it isn't like I'm just going to, all right, tonight I'm going to just go and kill him in the back. We're going to do that. How he plots this and the kind of weird things that he does in the process. And then he gets to know a witch played by Anya Taylor-Joy. And his mother is there, played by Nicole Kidman. And she is kind of the key to a lot of the twists and turns here. Fascinating, fascinating film. Um, Very dark, very violent. And, you know, they said there was nudity, but it's so dark in there, I couldn't tell who was naked. It probably was one of those gladiator type guys that was naked, I guess. But when you get to the end, you think, I feel like I have had an experience. It's not as simple as gladiator. And I think that would be a real good comparison. It'd be like Gladiator, but um, this is totally different. And it, it has some of those really standout performances.
0: And I think it really works. Based on the trailers, it struck me very much in the same vein of something like John Wick, honestly, where it's the driving force that propels it is such a pure, very simple Revenge. It is somebody does something bad to you in John Wick's case, kills the dog in, you know, in this case, kills dad. And then everything follows from that with this very single minded protagonist.
2: Well, the boy runs away because he can't hang around knowing that the uncle really doesn't want to have that bloodline around to take over the it's very Lion King if you really want to be honest. There's a lot of Scar in... Whoa, whoa,
0: whoa, whoa. whoa. I mean, The Lion King was itself an adaptation. We can go back even further if you want to some actual (laughs) Shakespeare.
2: I'm giving you a contemporary reference that you can hang your hat on. Sure. And it's (laughs) like, the uncle is like Scar and he doesn't want this kid around, so the kid has to figure out a way how to get back. And he's a slave for a good chunk of the film, trying to work his way into that inner circle because mom doesn't recognize him. He's too old now. He doesn't look like the little boy that she nurtured.
1: I will say, cause we, we, we talked about like uh, John Wack and some of those other ones. And like, I I love those kind of revenge movies, but there's something even more intriguing about revenge movies where it's someone that's basically nursing this revenge and these resentments over decades, instead of just like something bad happened to them one time and they're going to get revenge. This is something that, they've been clinging to for a while and are ready to, to unleash about. <laughs> and you bought it.
2: That's what I find really interesting that you, you would say, okay, now I'm not going to jump today, but maybe three years from now I might do it. Cause you, he has many opportunities that he could just take out the guy at any point.
0: Yeah. Right. Anybody who who's listening to this, please listen all the way through to the interview, not just for any analytics reasons or whatever, but it's, it's a fantastic interview that Bruce did. And Uh, There's a line that you have in there that made me think of another revenge film, Munich. Right. It's something that takes place over such a long period of time and has such a damaging effect on every single person involved. You know, revenge is never fully satisfying, I guess. I don't don't think that's necessarily any kind of a spoiler. I haven't seen the movie, but just based on the, the interview, it definitely sounds like this is a much more nuanced approach in its way. A movie like John Wick isn't necessarily going to examine the, you know, intense emotional toll that it's having on, <laughs> on Jonathan Wick. <laughs> he lets out a scream that is
2: unbelievable. It's like blood curdling. And you think, wow, how did you do that? You know, how did you find that in yourself? And he wanted to do it. That this was Alexander Scar's card. It's his kind of waiting his time out until he got to the place to do the film.
1: The uh, entire cast for this, like I, I was already in knowing that Robert Eggers made a, uh, a Viking related movie, but uh, having uh, some people like Anya Taylor-Joy and Ethan Hawke and Willem Dafoe and even Bjork, like filling in the, the rest of the cast, like that just put me over the top on w- wanting to see this. It's so eclectic. You go, really? And it's fun
2: to see these people. But like I say, Clay's bang. Remember him. He's one to watch. So we can change gears. Well, can I throw out this last weekend? I
0: went to see everything everywhere all at once. Ooh, I was going to mention that. I know Jared hasn't had a chance to see it. I have seen it. I've got the little bag of googly eyes right here from A24. Excellent. So what did you think, Bruce?
2: It's so bizarre. So bizarre. Can I tell you? It started out like, okay, I see where this is kind of, capitalizing on our interest in Korean and Asian based films, you know, you think, oh, this is Parasite part two, because you're seeing contemporary characters kind of dealing with things and you go, oh, okay, she's trying to get this laundromat going and it's it's difficult. She has to go to the IRS to, uh, she's being audited. You see all these kind of problems that you think, well, maybe I don't think about those problems. That's okay. And then you get in the elevator and all hell breaks loose. And it's like, what? What is this? It's bizarre, bizarre. And when Jamie Lee Curtis shows up, I think, holy Hannah, they've been missing a lot with her. She could have been playing these kind of instead of, you know, always trying to make her glam or whatever. She is great as kind of a scary old lady. She should be in everything like that. I could see her doing uh, Matilda all over again as Miss Trunchbull. She'd be wonderful as that, but she's the woman who's doing the audit and all these things could easily be just happening in the mind of the woman as she's going through all of this, but it jumps all over the place. It skips universes. It has all this crap going on and everybody has a different thing. And Michelle Yeoh, God bless her. God bless
0: her. She is good. Everyone in that film is fantastic. And it is I've had the hardest time talking about the movie with people who haven't seen the film. And I mean, it, it's a really unique experience. And it's not so much that I have a hard time talking about it because it's difficult to talk about. It's like, I don't want to spoil where it goes because any way that I would describe some of the things in there, either you're going to say that does not happen. (laughs) It's a waste of breath to try and say anything other than just go and see it in the conversation that I have had with people who've seen it, it's a little bit of a, you know, a Kung Fu movie. It is very similar in certain aspects to I Heart Huckabees in the way that they talk about, you know, nihilism versus existentialism versus, you know, populism. I mean, God love them for a fraction of, of the budgetary cost, They managed to make a better multiverse than Marvel has. So, I mean, I, yeah, it was an astounding film and I'm, really hope, hoping that it gets even, even more eyeballs on it as the, the months go through. It, you know, Marvel and all those
2: superhero type things don't have an overriding kind of moral to their story. And with this thing, maybe I'm reading into it, but a lot of it was a way that she was processing information that she had been given. Her daughter is gay. She doesn't know how to process that, particularly to talk to her dad about it how to explain to him because he doesn't understand any of those kinds of changes in family structure. So she has these kind of, if you will, not daydreams, but forays into other worlds that try to help her bring that back, to confront him, to deal with him about that. Same with her husband who is looking to divorce her and how she deals with that. It's like, your mind, you know how you have those moments when you can't really process something because it's just either too traumatic or it's just hitting you at the wrong point or whatever. And this is a way of her dealing with it. And in my mind, it could all be just in the mind. It could not be anything that has to do with another world, but it's fascinating to see where they go. And then the, the costumes and all that—it's just bizarre.
0: Yeah. The movie, it gives you these really unique and no hyperbole absurd tools with which to start to comprehend all of these very abstract concepts that the human brain is. I mean, we are incapable of truly comprehending the vastness of space and experience and all these other, you know, things. And it, it gives you the most ridiculous ways to to think about that and sort of get your fingers a little bit into them. Get your little hot dog fingers right into them. Hot dog fingers. Unbelievable. That's a great concept. Yep. And they're selling hot dog finger gloves at the A24 web store. We do it. A24 wants to send us some, uh, some hot dog finger gloves. We will completely rep them. We will wear them. Definitely.
1: I only want uh, chorizo fingered gloves uh, just to be on the record about that. I was going to say, I always have my antenna raised about director BS when they're talking about what influenced them on a particular movie, because like there's been some bad ones in the past, like the Marvel people saying that they were influenced by the parallax view when they were making uh, winter soldier, which is just absolute garbage. But I do believe uh, the Daniels who made this movie, when they talked about being influenced by this game from a couple years ago called everything, it was a PlayStation game. And I think it also came out for like Microsoft and the, the premise of that game, everything is, it's basically a simulation game where gradually you can control more and more objects in the universe, even like really, really tiny types of things. And it's like a fun, relaxing game that also is just a, uh, a reminder of how like interconnected everything is and how uh, big or uh, small some stuff is in the, uh, the universe. So uh, it actually makes sense for them to be citing a game like that as an uh, influence for this kind of movie. You know,
2: there is one thing that I don't like about the film. And in these kind of flashes that she has, they show Michelle Yeoh at the premiere for Crazy Rich Asians, and I do think that takes you out of it because you don't see her as, the, her as the character. You say, "Oh wait, that's yeah, that's Michelle," and I don't, I didn't like that. I, I think they could have done without that. And easily, if you wouldn't have seen the sign in the background, you could have just assumed, you know, she was rich or she was famous or she was whatever. But when I saw that in the background, I thought, "Well, they're just stealing footage from the premiere. This is nothing. This shouldn't be in." <laughs>
0: So that was my only knock
2: against it.
0: And even that is real quibbling. I mean, that's.
2: Well, but you see what I mean. You tell your friends about this and you say to them, I can't tell you, just go. Yeah. Just go and you will discover what it's all about.
0: It's certainly one of those movies where even if you don't like it, you've got a lot to talk about as to what it was that you didn't like about it (laughs) or just the, you know, what it was that that rubs you wrong for whatever reason. So. Thumbs up to that movie. I know it's expanding to uh, more and more screens every week. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Go see it with an audience. It's a movie that definitely benefits with an audience.
1: This is a good week for uh, people who have been in uh, John Woo movies uh, in the past. what we're about to talk about with uh, another one.
0: What a fantastic transition, Jared. What might that be, Jared?
1: That would be uh, the unbearable weight of a uh, massive talent, uh, starring Nicolas Cage, who of course was in uh, the John Woo movie uh, Face Off, and also the John Woo movie uh, Wind Talkers, which is actually one of my favorite uh, World War II movies. Basically, if anyone hasn't seen the, the trailer or the premise for this movie, Nick Cage plays a like hyper exaggerated version of himself who is having some money issues, which is very fictitious. We certainly don't know Nick Cage to have any money issues uh, in real life in the past. He's never talked about that. And so he's having money issues in uh, the unbearable way to massive talent. So he decides to go to this like birthday party for this like obsessive fan. Things kind of spiral out of control uh, from there where he ends up having to play some of his uh, former uh, characters from some of his most famous movies. And there's uh, some uh, CIA stuff going on as well. And then even some of his uh, former uh, co-stars or uh, directors pop up. David Gordon Green uh, is listed. And then we also have folks like Pedro Pascal, Ike Barinholtz and uh, Neil Patrick Harris. I'm very excited about this because I've been on a tear of Nicolas Cage stuff. And then I got even more excited when I read the GQ profile of uh, Nicholas Cage, which I know you mentioned in the, the show notes, Chris.
0: He is one of America's best actors and also just a complete psycho. I mean, just a, just a real weirdo. And we're all much better for it. And, and we're also apparently much better off now that he is out of hock to the IRS.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Is this a movie that you've seen, Bruce? I know that they've been doing a lot of pre-screenings.
2: Yeah, I've seen the trailers and stuff for it. I, you know, I thought, is this going to be like being John Malkovich or where does this fit in that continuum of actors playing themselves? Where is this?
1: I think this one's going to be a, a little less uh, heady than that. It seems like this is going to be a little more down the middle, I think.
0: I know we were talking about The Lost City. It felt like the trailer gave away so much of that film. And then you actually watch the movie and you realize the trailer was really only taken from like the first third or the first half of the film. And so there was a lot more going there. And on record, I want to apologize. I, I want to rescind my concerns about the Lost City trailer. And I'm hoping that this movie is the same because they've given away a whole lot of what seems to be the basic plot structure and the drive and the the twists and turns of it, but Bruce, you mentioned the being John Malkovich element to it. I want it to be as as strange as possible, given the the concept they're messing around with.
2: Seeing the trailer, you go, "Oh, that, yeah, okay, that's interesting," but I think it would be just easier if you just stopped that they were grabbing John or uh, Nicholas Cage, rather, and taking him somewhere, and then don't tell you beyond
0: that. The problem is that while Nicolas Cage is absolutely one of America's greatest actors and... He's also a money whore because he needs to pay bills.
3: So he's done a lot of
2: bad films and he's had to pay the piper. So you go, oh, is this one of those bad Nicolas Cage movies that should be direct to video? Or is this a good one that I should pay attention to?
0: Yeah, but he's turned into this you know, meme sort of thing on the, the same level of like ninja, bacon, zombie, whatever internet culture. And so there's a bunch of people that don't necessarily know, you know, the real depths of what he's capable of as an actor and just see him as the, you know, the goofy face of, you know, the pillows that have his face on. And he is those things, but he's also- I have
1: one of those pillows.
0: They're fantastic. And he's, he's also the dude who ate a, a live cockroach for Vampire's Kiss. And pulled teeth. Yeah. He's just a fascinating guy. And the trailer has to sort of sell both angles of that. You have to get the people who, the movie nerds who who know like a deeper thing. And then also, you know, people that just kind of know Nicolas Cage from the internet superficial aspects of it. So it has to play both of those things. And the trailer, I think, does okay with that. But again, I'm holding out hope that it's going to exceed those expectations.
1: I do worry about that a little bit too, Chris, that like some people might see this and like take away some of the wrong things and just only like further, like the Nicholas Cage is a meme thing as opposed to Nicholas Cage is an incredible actor. And the reason he gets a movie like this about a fictional version of himself is because he is as good of an actor as he is. It's not just because he's so memeable.
0: And I mean, you look, I mean, now that he's on the other side of this text. You know, situation, which he, you know, spent a decade doing four or five movies a year basically to to dig himself out of. He can operate at a loss and make things like Mandy and Pig and, you know, these things that who else could have given those films exactly what they needed to be as good as they were.
1: And he's got some um, better seeming movies coming up to like later this year he's supposed to be in a uh, movie called butcher's crossing which is based off of a book by uh, john edward williams who's a fantastic writer he also did the book stoner for people who might know that one um and then nicholas cage in 2023 is going to be in a new uh, dracula movie called renfield where nicholas cage is playing uh dracula and uh, chris mckay is directing that one who's uh, done work for the Lego Batman movie and um, Robot Chicken and Moral Oral and some other stuff like that. So the upcoming stuff seems pretty promising. I'm kind of hoping that this ends up being
0: just sort of a, the sort of acknowledgement that Nick Cage is that memeable goofball, but we can kind of move past that because we're not taking the power out of it, but putting it in a very specific place in how we perceive him and you know framing it in a way that it hasn't been framed yet it's the palate cleanser perhaps yes there you go the unbearable weight of massive talent fantastic title it's a it's a good weekend for movies uh, also the bad guys i don't know cartoon. if anybody wants to say anything about that yeah
2: the cartoon bad characters you know big bad wolf type characters bruce the shark from jaws all those things that have gotten bad raps joined together to try and change their image. You know, Bruce.
1: It sounded like you dozed off by the end of that sentence.
2: Right? Doesn't it? I mean, I don't care. And this is, again, my divorced dad film. <laughs> this is the one that they take the kids to. <laughs> yes. It is. Yes. There's nothing there that you're going to say, oh, my God, hold this one open for next year's Oscars because it's going to be a winner. It isn't. It fills the space. It does what it needs to do, and it's at the end. You've spent fifty dollars on, you know, a movie with a kid.
0: I mean, there's a whole spectrum of these films, and it seems like it's going to be above average, maybe. But I don't know. The voice talent in there is really interesting. Aquafina, good for her, and then Mark
1: Maron, interestingly enough. I love that someone like Mark Maron, who I'm a huge fan of. Someone who has the persona for being angry uh, has now done uh, voice work for multiple uh, animated animals because he also voiced a squirrel in Adventure Time at one point, the uh, Cartoon Network show. (laughs) And now he's voicing a a snake in an animated movie. So I love that uh, he can uh, now yell uh, at people in animated form. Can I segue? I would love that. Yes.
2: There is a new series on um, Disney Plus called Sketchbook fascinating show because animators that created a lot of those classic characters, characters you remember, draw the character during the course of the half hour and then show you what inspired them to get into the business. And you have people who, you know, there was a, a, a gentleman who grew up, his first thing he ever watched was Peter Pan and he became fascinated with Peter Pan and wanted to learn how to draw Captain Hook. And that led to him having this career in animation. Oddly enough, when they had the test that you needed to take to get into the animation studios, they asked him to draw Captain Hook. You see current ones, Elsa, Frozen. The guy who does Elsa says they call him the father of Elsa in Korea when he goes over there. The guy who did the genie in Aladdin. And they're far more complex when they start drawing them. And you see, it starts out with a circle. Everything starts out with a circle and then they start veering from there and then you need a box and then you need this and they show you how to draw them. But I think more importantly, you find out about their lives and how they got lured into animation. Many of them are very shy people and they saw this was a way to express their personality by drawing and by bringing to life these characters. Just six episodes, it's gonna be on Disney Plus beginning at the end of the month. As somebody who loves animation, it was a a real good dive into that world. And I just binged him right away. Sketchbook.
0: It's on Disney Plus. Coming at the end of the month. We've got some other interesting shows. I know Russian Doll restarts. Season two. Season two on Netflix. It seems like forever, though, since we last had it.
1: Yeah, it's been several years.
0: Yeah, it was, you know, pre-pandemic. I think when when the first season came out. The structure of that show for the first season was very uh, Groundhog's Day kind of a thing with somebody repeating the same chunk of time over and over again until they figured out how to to break that cycle. And I thought it was done really well. I'm looking forward to the second season. It's created by Natasha Lyonne, Amy Poehler, uh, Leslie Headland, And the second season is going to be focused on the New York City subway. So expect to be even grimier than the first season. <laughs> and that's going to be on Netflix. It starts on April 20th. We've got Flight Attendant coming out. Have you seen any, any of that? I think that's on now or very shortly. Yeah, it's coming out very soon, uh, the second season, where Cassie Bowden, she's working as a, as a CIA asset, witnesses another murder and ends up getting roped into some other stuff. That's on HBO uh, this is going to be like Murder, She Wrote, where every place she goes, somebody drops dead. <laughs> and that's fine. I think, I mean, that sort of comfort food is great. It's the, the meatloaf and potatoes or chorizo loaf and potatoes, if you will, Jared.
2: <laughs> I think they all have a good first season, but they're so busy making that first season, they don't think about the second if there is one. And they need to be there for that. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Have you seen the Magic Johnson documentary that's coming out on Apple? Yeah. The four-part series. I talked with magic too. It's his way of telling his side of the story, particularly since Michael Jordan had that very big expensive kind of documentary about his life.
0: So if you like magic, you'll like the show. And I know we've talked about showtime, which magic Johnson on there, the, the character representing magic Johnson. I'm intrigued to see if there's a like a back and forth between this and that
1: all these guys are, uh, Doing these, which makes sense because they have built in fan bases just based on the teams that they play for. Obviously, there's the Michael Jordan one that uh, Bruce mentioned that was uh, 10 parts. There's a, a Derek Jeter one. Uh, there's a Joe Montana one. There's a Tom Brady one. There's this Magic Johnson one. So like some of these big all time stars are, are rolling these things out. And uh, it just it makes a lot of sense. And they're probably going to do pretty good numbers with who they're targeted toward. It's their
2: chance to own a piece of their life Yep. before somebody else co-ops it and, and
0: you know, makes their own version of it. Which you're seeing with, uh, with Showtime. I mean, the most recent episode introduces the rivalry between Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. And the, the way that Larry Bird is presented on that <laughs> on Showtime is, uh, it's- Favorable? I don't know if I'd say favorable. <laughs> <laughs> And Magic says
2: they're good friends.
1: you know. Sure they, so are. Yep.
2: they know what they have to do in the second act of life or third act, whatever it might be. And how do we move on to something else? And maybe somebody that you saw as a rival or an enemy can be your best uh, support system because you've been through the same kind of stuff.
0: And That brings us to Sunday night, which on three different networks, the season three of Barry, is going to be kicking off on HBO Max. Barry I think is one of the best shows on TV. Hitman who joins a, an improv troupe <laughs> in LA <laughs> and everything kind of happens from there.
1: Tail is all this time.
0: A tale is all the time. Exactly, yes. I've seen Barry and um very fascinating, you know what I think is
2: really hurting us at this point and we saw it with Mrs. Maisel is that so much time has passed during the when we last saw the episodes that for us to kind of remember where we are and kind of fill in the blanks and get up to speed does take these shows a little bit of time so if you wanted to do a deep dive and watch some berries before you get at the end of the last season get into that and then get into this because there is they pick up right away with things that are going on henry winkler gets a different vibe going in this one which is kind of fun I, I don't want to tell you anything more because there are characters that are really different this time out, but Barry is still that kind of oddball trying to make
0: his way in a world that doesn't want him, but still good, still good. And we've got um, The Man Who Fell to Earth, a reframing of the, the movie, which was based on the, the novel uh, from the, the 70s with David Bowie as an alien who crashes to Earth. Uh, the alien is played by uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor. Trying to kind of make his way in America. I guess it's a mork from orc, but serious, maybe. <laughs> and also, I know Bruce, you've talked about this uh earlier in in a previous show, gaslit mm-hmm. with Julia Roberts as Martha Mitchell, the woman who took down Nixon. You want to give a little uh little bump to that? Gaslit, yes, I have seen first
2: episodes. And again, if you're into all that kind of intrigue and um, political, I mean, now more than ever, we see these parallels. Martha Mitchell, I remember her, she'd come on TV on a talk show and she was, you thought she was crazy. She was just spouting all this stuff and you thought, oh, she's just trying to get back at somebody or whatever. And it turned out she was just truthful. I don't know that I would cast Julia Roberts necessarily in the role, but Julia gives it a shot.
0: If you're listening to this, you like podcasts, there was a really good series a couple of years ago uh, called uh, it, w- it was a season of a show called Slow Burn, and that was one of the things that sort of brought Martha Mitchell back into the uh, the limelight. Maybe not the limelight, but she's someone who it was sort of memory hold from a lot of the, the Watergate narrative as we think of it now.
1: I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, throw out uh, one other show that I think actually technically is streaming on uh, amc plus but uh, is most uh, commonly going to be watched by people just on uh, regular old uh, tv as it's happening in uh, real time and that's the uh, sixth season of a, a simple story about a, a lawyer from uh, albuquerque just uh, trying to do his best golly g and uh, he just <laughs> he can't seem to do the right thing and that's of course uh better call Saul, which came back last night with a two and a half hour two-part opener uh it was back-to-back episodes with like very limited commercials and everything which was great like bruce was kind of talking about with russian doll and barry it's obviously been a while since saul has been back on it's been two years and so i had to do some mental work in my head to remember what the hell is going on even after they showed you know a catch up at the beginning of the episode before the episode started but man this show has not lost its fastball at all just based on the two episodes that i saw last night to me It's still the absolute best show on television in terms of its inventiveness. There were so many camera angles and looks that you just would not see in any other show. All the actors in this, because they've had six seasons at this point, they know these characters and are doing great work uh, in those roles. I I don't have a single complaint so far about the show, and I can't wait to see where it goes in this uh, half season before they uh, take a break until the fall. This is not the end of the end, or is this the end? It's the beginning of the end because they're doing 13 episodes that split into two parts. And I believe the first seven are going to be running um, from now until May 23rd. And then the second half, so the final six episodes of the entire show.
2: So this is like Ozark's model where we're splitting the last season up so that we can get two quarters of earnings out of them.
1: Or I'm sorry, it's actually not even quite the. It's not even quite the fault. Uh, it'll end in May 23rd for the first part, and then start back again in July. So they're not taking too long of a break at all. Just two months. Okay, well that's good.
0: And this is also going to finally connect.
1: Yep, it'll link up with Breaking Bad.
0: Yes. And
2: they said they're down for it, so that means they've already done
0: it. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I can't imagine either of those guys. I mean, you know, Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul. I'm sure that both of them are. Well, I mean, I know both of them are talented enough to have found their way eventually, but I mean, Breaking Bad just catapulted both of those into an insane, I mean, they, you know, come on, what? Like, you know, the Better Call Saul guys call you up. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm busy that weekend. <laughs> like, <laughs>
2: Remember me, the guy who made you a star? Exactly. Yeah, We would like to have you come and do a short bit on this show. Can you do that for us? Or will we never talk to you again? Can you carve out a little bit of time? Do we talk about the meth problems we had on the show? This is how we mess with <laughs> it. You know what I like is that this isn't like Spider-Man, where they go, oh, no, oh, no, we, we haven't heard anything about being in it. We're not going to be in that show. No, you don't. No, I, I don't. I Nobody's called me. And then all of a sudden, one week later, they're doing commercials with them in it,
1: you know? I really do, to that point, Bruce, kind of appreciate that they just ripped the Band-Aid off and they didn't get cute with it at all. And they're like, yes, they're going to be back. No, we're not going to say to what extent they're going to be back, but just get that out of the way so it doesn't hang over like an actually good show.
2: You have the joy of trying to figure out how do they work them in? Yep. You know, it's not like this guessing game. Well, then, you know, damn well, they're going to be in it. If they are hemming and hawing, they're showing up.
0: Thank you, Spider-Man. Thank you, Spider-Man. On that note, Bruce can throw to the interview and then we'll have, we'll have Jared give our trademarked. A very well-known catchphrase. Has it been approved yet by the Copyright Division of Trademarks Incorporated? Oh, of course. The paperwork is at the Framer's office right now, you know? Okay, we'll get the lawyers out there to start suing on those who have been trying to borrow it. Yep, I threw a little extra money so we're getting a gold leaf mat, you know? Good. Very nice. Soon on t-shirts. Soon on t-shirts, yes. right With googly eyes, if we play our cards right. I'm telling you, 824, send us those those fingers. Please. We'll speak even more highly about your, your wonderful movie. I had the opportunity to talk with Robert Eggers, who's the director of
2: Northman, who also did The Lighthouse and The Witch, and this was his biggest film to date. It was like a real big challenge for him fascinating to find out how he did it and even that he had apprehensions he wasn't going into this with like i'm going forward with the the project of my life because he said it wasn't this isn't the film that he was longing to make it wasn't on his bucket list but he happened to happened to visit iceland realized that the the topography was something that he could do something with and then he met alexander skarsgård and from that we get the
0: northman jared bring this on home
1: Look, um, after you've got done working on a long day as the uh, manager of a uh, Cinnabon in Omaha, Nebraska, you know, you gotta, you gotta find ways to unwind. That's, that's hard work. You're surrounded by delicious smells all day long. But you can't necessarily be eating the product because that's for the, the customer. And, you know, maybe or maybe not, there's still some cartel members that are out to, to murder you as violently as possible because of you being a rat thing. To unwind from all of that, what you got to do is you got to either head right home or go to a local theater and uh, see something good or stream something good. See
0: something good, stream something good. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week with more good stuff, interviews, et cetera. Find us on the internet. Check the show notes for links to everything. Subscribe, tell your friends, et cetera, et cetera. Get the catchphrase tattooed on your body. Yeah. See something good? Robert, this is so huge.
2: What was the deal behind that? Why did you want to go so big with a film?
3: You know, Viking stories tend to be best when they're epics. uh, You know, I mean, I think I was never really interested in Vikings uh, because of the macho stuff and the right wing misappropriation of Viking culture. But when I took a trip to Iceland and the epic, massive inspiring, overwhelming, ancient, otherworldly like powerful landscapes, it, you know, they they inspired me to pick up the Icelandic sagas and and start learning about Vikings. And then 2 years later, I had lunch with Alexander Skarsgard who said who unlike me has been into Vikings since he was a kid and said that he was been trying to make a Viking movie for quite some time and didn't have a script that he was happy with. And so then we kind of decided let's embark on this together and uh and lo and behold we just you know ended up making an epic
2: (laughs) it's it's massive i mean i wasn't expecting this much but wow did it ever feel like it was out of control where you thought oh my god i can't get my hands around it
3: for sure i think that there was a time and well i think because we decided my dp jaron and i that we would shoot single camera with these long unbroken takes that um that that there was a time when I thought we're never going to be able to do it. You know, we're never going to be able to plan everything. We're never going to be able to storyboard everything time. We're going to get crushed by by our own ideas. But, you know, we we made it through. (laughs) It's honestly, it is
2: really an achievement. I was really shocked because I am like maybe like the old you where I'm not on the page of let's Vikings. Okay, I'm good. But boy, it was overwhelming, I thought. Did you learn anything from it about yourself?
3: I mean, I couldn't finish the book before I died, probably. I, I just learned so much about filmmaking. I mean, I'm incredibly grateful to be able to have made a big movie that is not a franchise movie. But on top of that, like I got a PhD in filmmaking. <laughs> I mean, I, really, it was uh, crazy the stuff, the amount of stuff that I learned.
2: And then when you're picking the people to be in it, what was the criteria?
3: Viking, (laughs) you know, I mean, you know, Bjork is playing a a Cirrus and, you know, and. Well, come on, that's a given, that's that's a given, given. right? Right. Uh, And I think Nicole Kidman, certainly, you know, a tall, fair redhead, but she also, you know, I, I think that that character could have been played in a kind of, over the top scene, chewy way. But her subtle, icy approach was much more interesting and much more exciting and, and real and, and, and powerful. And uh, you know, when I wrote the role of a court jester slash keeper of secret wisdom, I wrote that for Willem Dafoe, because who can inhabit both of those things at the same time other than Willem Dafoe? And Annie Taylor-Joy gets to play a witch again. But as much as it's not easy to be a woman in the Viking age, it's easier to be a witch in the Viking age than in Puritan New England.
2: When you have those people you've worked with before, is that a shorthand? It's just easier to Absolutely, have them? yeah. Yeah.
3: You know, and because again, like Jaren and I, I do shoot in an unconventional way. And so they already know what they're getting into, which is great. And we trust each other already. You know, a big part of the actor director relationship is establishing trust. And we don't have to do that, which is great. So what about Alexander then? How does he fit into all of that mix? Is Well, I mean, he he came in to wanting to do this, like, you know, 30 years before I cared about Vikings, like, you know? And so he wanted nothing less than, than perfection and he delivered it, you know? I mean, he totally transforms his body and his person and becomes, I mean, Alex is the sweetest, gentlest, goofiest guy and he becomes like a beast, like this furious machine, you know, but also he still brings the pathos. You know, he still has the, the, the innocence and sensitivity that like Oscar Novak who plays him as an 11 year old has. Like, like, I think that's what makes it so powerful. Even when Alex is channeling the most ferocious, angry scream you've ever seen, there is like uh, some melancholy there too, which, which makes it powerful. What are
2: those like when you're shooting those? When he is screaming, do you say, okay, let's do it one more time? or yeah
3: (laughs) but then that makes him scream harder
2: (laughs) (laughs) because yeah I was scared I was scared of what he was doing you know it was and the body how long did it take him to get in shape for that
3: you'd have to ask him but it took a long time and it was a lot of discipline and he ate so much food that it was insane to like keep that size like the amount of protein he would eat was genuinely shocking yeah I wouldn't do it it just I'd
2: tap out at that point, do it with special effects, right? Isn't that the way we can do that?
3: <laughs> what, yeah, but that's not Alex.
2: What kind of contemporary parallels can we draw from this story and today?
3: Well, the Viking culture, it was an incredibly sophisticated culture of beautiful poetry and visual arts and and cultural fusion. Like they, you know, with their, their a culture of advanced technology, their ships and their trade routes made the world a very small place. But it was completely obsessed with horrible violence and and at the end of the day like violence that terrorized everyone and clearly we haven't learned any lessons
2: yeah it's i I, because i could see things that we could learn from this i said you know hmm i see he's trying to tell another story here and i think people need to see it in the cycle of revenge no there are no winners exactly exactly okay then the the brother yeah fielner yeah yeah, where did you where did you find him? What had oh, you? Oh, been- Claes Bang, the actor. Yeah, the actor.
3: Claes, uh was in a movie called The Square that I, I believe won Palm Door a handful of years ago, and he gave a really remarkable performance. And I, you know, and he's a six foot four Danish guy, he's the same height as Alex, and we needed somebody who is a a, a great actor, and he has this kind of like Christopher Lee commanding quality, and he's very handsome but also could you know could be like f- formidable in size that you might think that there's a chance Alex could lose to him in a sword fight.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's remarkable. Remarkable yeah, right. in this. And you you get the whole I mean, when you have that big surprise with Nicole, you go, "Oh, yes, now I get all of that." That's it's yeah. it's fascinating. Well, when it when you finished filming, what was the the big kind of challenge then? I'm assuming that you did a lot of this during the the pandemic. So
3: Yeah, it was all during yeah, we shot it all during the pandemic. It was very, it was it was difficult. Yeah.
2: Do you then go, okay, now we're just gonna sit still and I can't do any reshoots and I can't do anything else because I've got to just put together what I've got.
3: We did a little additional photography and it was important because because of COVID, I couldn't shoot as much in Iceland as I as I wanted to wanted to. So it was really important for us to get to Iceland with Alex and Anya and do some some uh, additional photography there.
2: Okay, was it hard to edit?
3: Only because it was the first time that I didn't have final cut. So, So that became difficult. But, you know, I'm very proud of the film. This is the director's cut. This is the version that I wanted to make. And I'm grateful for the studio to give me the opportunity to make this movie. And, and, and the pressure that I experienced in post while it was not fun made the film better.
2: Well, then do you think about how do I follow this? Or do you go back to what you feel most comfortable with? Or do you say, no, I want to do more big things now?
3: I'd like to do something smaller than this, but a bit certainly bigger than my last two films uh, with, with, the, with the knowledge that I have, have, have garnered from, from this movie.
2: Do you find a place for yourself now in that whole kind of big movie making world, do you say I fill this niche or is that I don't want to fill any niche.
3: Well, I have a place in the making big movies, if this movie makes money. <laughs> and if it doesn't like then it doesn't matter anyway.
2: It's making money, you know, it is. You well, know it, is. it is. Now, do you have Norse culture in your background.
3: Uh, I'm a, 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 you know, a, a, I have a little bit of everything European you can imagine in me, and the Vikings got around. So I imagine I have some Viking in me too. <laughs> so,
2: does that mean you want to know more, or I'm
3: good? I'm out of
2: tapping out, out of this.
3: About Vikings?
2: Yeah. Do you say no more? I'm good. I don't know if I would make
3: another Viking movie. I'm good because that's part of what I like about my job is that I get to be completely obsessed with one world and then learn about a new one.
2: And did they teach you how to be like they
3: are? Or is that like, Oh God, no, don't do that to me. There are positive things about Viking culture, you know, like uh, as well. So there are things that I learned that I I, I can appreciate, but I'm glad that we don't live in the Viking age. That's for damn sure.
2: I'm with you. Hey, thank you so much. And the movie was really wonderful. A really, really
0: spectacular. You should be very proud
2: of it.
3: Thank you.
0: Cheers. Again, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, We'll be back next week with another interview and more picks for you to check out. So make sure that you are subscribed to the show wherever you get your podcasts. We'll have links in the show notes uh, to where you can stream the movies that we talked about as well as the shows that we talked about. Uh, You can discover older episodes and find ways to contact Bruce, Jared, and myself if you want. Also, we'll have links to any of the articles that we mention and a... Nice little collection of recent film and TV stuff that Bruce has written in those same show notes. So please check all that out. The show is produced by myself, Bruce, and Jared, and I'm the one who records and edits it. We hope that you enjoyed the show and are taking very good s- and are taking very good care of yourselves out there. As always, see something good.
2: I am the Pete Davidson of our bunch.